Just a quick heads up that this episode contains material that may be confronting, especially for survivors of trauma. Aboriginal and Torres Strait people are advised following stories, making tame of names and voices. Our people are passed away. This is jail. Everyone swears. If you don't like swearing, turn down the volume. There's all different ways people keep faith alive in prison. For me, by getting strong, sleeping and keep away from problem. I'm just always ringing my family once an hour, every hour that goes by. <laughs> doing programs, doing poetry, going work. Don't think about sad things. Just join in the girls, ladies, and sit around and have fun, laugh away. Um, I keep hope by doing my own thing, doing whatever goes with the flow. And I also keep my faith alive, like talking in lingo, in my language. Way up, I like writing, making story for my family and for myself, what I'm doing here in prison. I used to go to church, but I had a bit of problem. And then people that I was arguing, they were like saying, they were judging me that I was gammon going into the church. But, yeah, I go sometimes to church. Sometimes when I get bored, I just like doing fun stuff, which is not good. But that's jail. Will we ever know? Will we ever know if it was all worth it? When I was four years old, I was outside playing with the water in the pool and I remember um, like playing with the water with my hand and I fell in. I didn't know how to swim. The more I tried to go back to the edge to pull myself up, I was pushing myself further away into the middle of the pool. I remember just taking my last breath and just falling down, floating down and looking up through the water and there was this really bright light and then I woke up and I was on the side of the pool coughing up water and there was no one around me and um, to this day we still don't know who got me out of the pool that day. I don't know if it was God or an angel or something but experience that happened to me, it's kind of made me believe that there is something. From the outside view, I had a good life, a comfortable life. I had a full-time job. I had a house. I had a car. I had good friends. I had my family. I went 
to the gym every day. I played netball. I thought I was happy. I thought at the time that all those things that I had was perfect. I'm 27 years of age. I'm born and bred in Darwin. I've been raised in a multicultural family. So my mum is from Thailand and my dad's Australian. This is my first time in prison and will be the last time I ever come to prison. It's now three months. So I'm in an orange shirt, which means remand, and I'm in low security. It feels like you're in a boarding school with other girls and it's open, you've got a microwave, you've got a kettle, you've got um, a toaster, whereas when you're in medium security, you don't get any of that and you're pretty much locked in your room, whereas in low security or you can get up out of your room and move in and out as you please and make a midnight snack or something. Attention, attention, all clear, code Amber 3 Alpha, all clear, code Amber 3 Alpha. Today's Monday, it's our buyer's day. So um, every week before Sunday, we can put in an order of, I guess, all the junk food that you want for the week. Chocolate, chips, you can order... Apple juice, orange juice, cordial. All the girls look forward to that one day of the week to pick up their goodies. Yeah. Tuesday, usually I do crocheting. So we all get great pleasure out of um, crocheting. Yeah, it's good. We love it. We just sit here, yak on. Sometimes we just sit here and and don't even talk. (laughs) Just crochet away. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday's half day. Thursday, usually I get visits from my parents. They were heartbroken, they were devastated, they were just like, they they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe I was in here. They're just so supportive. And like my dad said, you're still alive, it's not like you're dead. So that's all that matters. And so having your father say that to you kind of puts things into perspective. I guess uh, a lot of these girls in here don't have much family or they don't get the support that some other people get, like myself. Saturday morning I have church, which I go to at nine, and then afterwards I'll do the volunteering for hairdressing. I'll cut girls' hairs, like I'll shampoo and condition their hair for them and I'll blow dry it and make them feel and give them a head massage and make them feel, I guess, beautified. And I I really enjoy that. Sunday's my rest day. So I read the Bible on Sunday. Dear Heavenly Father, please hear my prayers. And then I'll say a little prayer and I'll ask the Lord what kind of, what teaching would he like me to learn for the day or for the week. And then I just open it up at any random page. And usually when I read through it, it, he has a message in there for me, which is really interesting. Unconditional love and being there by my side. A lot of the Indigenous ladies, or the Aboriginal women, they believe in God. Or they, they've got really big faith. When you sit with them and you uh, make them feel comfortable, they've got so many stories and they open up and tell you about 
miracles that have happened where tragic stuff have happened and then they've turned to God and they've turned to prayer. Through high school, I grew up with a lot of Indigenous people and um, also I worked in a rehab centre. Then when I came in here, it was really easy for me to just open up and talk to everyone and they're all my friends. Like I've got a skin name that they've given me and um, to them it's very important. Or, well, if you get given a skin name, that's like your sister. Mine's Nakamara. They don't call me by my first name or my last name. They call me by Nakamara. So it's like I've been accepted into their group. Every Saturday we have community church. The priest comes in and we do communion or have the service in the library where we are right now. Lord, we pray that you accept our voices as sweet perfume rising up to you. And we pray that your name will be glorified in the church, in prison here today. Anybody that believes in God will come. We usually sing hymns before we start the service, which is really good. I was 22 years old. That's when I met him. He actually got in contact with me via email and um, he asked me out on a lunch date. Then he was really motivated. He was really driven and I was too. I really loved how he was so determined to be successful in life and I hadn't really met any guys before him that were on the same level as me. He gave his life for me, made everything new. He was, he became obsessed with money and becoming rich and riches, having, having money is power. And at the beginning of my relationship, yes, there was a point where I enjoyed having nice things. Then he would take me out for dinners, like wine and dine me, and made me feel like a princess. He set me free. This is what I tell you. What means to me? It's so funny being in here. You kind of look back and at everything in your life, and especially my relationship. And then it was like a, a battle for me to get the truth out of him. There were so many red flags. Like I went to his house and there was someone watering um, the garden at the front. And I was like, oh, who's that? And he goes, oh, my goodness, that's my mom. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, can I meet her? And he goes, yeah, all right, just wait in the car and I'll go and talk to her first. You know, and I introduced myself and I shook her hand and um she goes, you're, you're the first girlfriend that he's brought home. So about 
a year later, she pulled me aside one day and he was out. Then she goes, do you remember the first time I met you? You know how he told me that you were the first girl that he brought home? It's not true. That was a lie. He told me to lie and I don't like lying and I want to tell you the truth. So he came home and I pretty much said to him, why did you lie to me about me being the first girl that your mum has met? Your mum told me the truth. And then he just went berserk and went off his nut, like swearing. And then he started yelling at his mother. Like for me, it doesn't matter if I'm the first girl. But the only thing that I hated was that the fact that he lied. He always said that the woman needs to be at home cooking and cleaning. I needed to ensure that food was made by a certain time and if it wasn't made by a certain time, I would get yelled at and it made me feel like I am not worthy to be his wife or his partner. And when you're in a relationship where you love someone, you, you are blinded by love and you do things because you love that person and you see past or the bad. I got so used to him degrading me or putting me down. You're just a street rat girl or you're just a street slut that belongs on the street. Like, you're not worthy of being my wife. He would choose the clothes that I would wear before I leave the house. I thought domestic violence was hitting someone or bashing someone, but no, domestic violence can be uh, emotional abuse. Um, And I suffered a lot of that in my relationship. He was moulding me into this ideal, perfect woman, housewife, whatever he wanted me to be, um, which wasn't me all those decisions that I made, that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. You feel trapped. There were so many times that I wanted to leave and I wanted to get out, but he would say to me, you'll never find anyone better than me. Maybe that's true. Maybe I won't be able to find someone better. Um, And I guess... Really, at the end of the day, I take full responsibility for my actions because everybody's got a choice and my choice was to stay in that relationship. He is my everything. Now about you? Coming in, in here made me realise that uh, I'm away from him and God that he's answered my prayers. And I'm being able to make decisions on my own, not having someone tell me what I should be doing or can't do or what I can't wear or even though you, you have to wear the same shirt or whatever. I think for me coming in here and having everything stripped away from me and um, being around other criminals like that have gone through so much worse than what I have and listening to their stories and... Um, 
it, putting things into a different perspective, it is freedom. Like someone wakes me up at 7.30 every morning, someone wakes you up over the announcement and you it's like I don't have to think for myself in here and that's a break in itself and so little responsibility. My mind is so relaxed now and it's like now I can really concentrate on finding me again and and how I want to live my new life on the outside. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for... My faith is a lot more stronger now. Like I've got a routine now that I've put myself into and guiding me and giving me the strength and courage to keep moving forward. So every morning I do my 20-minute prayer and then I get up and then I make my bed and then I'll have a shower, brush my teeth, come back and I'll get changed uh, and then I'll have make myself breakfast and have a coffee. And sometimes I'll read but sometimes I just sit there by myself and eat my breakfast and watch the sunrise. It was like I was searching for my happiness and I thought, okay, travelling or having the best car or having the best clothes, that would bring me happiness. I was trying to fill a void. I didn't go to church on, on the outside so and I never read my Bible or anything like that. And Lord, we thank you for this time for the ladies to be able to speak truthfully the stories that will be able to help other ladies. I found strength being in here. I found peace. Um, I'm really enjoying the time that I'm doing in here. Finding a good support network. It's taken a, a, a lot, a, a while for all of us to trust each other. We've formed a really strong bond. He is my saviour. I was at the Supreme Court when I got sentenced. I remember just waking up and being like, oh my goodness, like today's the day that I get judged. And like when I was in the van, pretty much I prayed like all the way. When I went into the courtroom, it was freezing cold. And I just remember sitting down. And um, I was shaking, literally. It's just seeing all my family sitting to my right and just like I had a lot of people that were supporting me. When the judge got me to stand and he sentenced me to seven and a half years on top with four years to serve, my ex and I got charged with obtaining money by deception and we got sentenced the same day for the same crime. It wasn't a shock. I was just, it was more like, yes, it's over. Like I'm sentenced. I know what my date is going to be when I get out. I'm not in limbo land anymore. Now I can progress through the system. I used to be quite easily influenced. That's the old me, a really young, naive, uh, codependent girl. And being in here, I'm slowly becoming into a woman. 
and becoming a strong woman. I, and I want my message to go out to women that are listening that forgive and let go. Just don't forget, but learn from your mistakes and move on from it. And uh, we should be helping others that are in need as well. back in a red shirt and because I came back at night everybody had already been locked up because usually when you get a sentence over one year uh, you come back in a red shirt which is high security and you're handcuffed as soon as I walked through the gates and I was walking down like into sector four and then I came around the bend and all the girls were screaming out my name and they're like, we love you, stay strong, stay strong girl, we love you. I had so much support. It was like all the girls from all the pods were just, they lifted my spirits up and it was okay. So Lord, we commit this time to you. When you've got good people around you and they lift your spirits up. In Jesus' name. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you'll find love pass you by chin up, head high. There's no limits if you try. Don't think it's too late. It's just the beginning. Take a step, take a breath. You only got what you Okay, so we're in industry. That is the alarm because we got medals on us, but not no guns. Can you see the crochet ladies? Miss Mellor, one of the officers here, she got the program up and running. So what we do, we crochet squares and then we join them. Then right now I'm doing the scalloping around the last bit around the, around the edging. When I was younger, a lady tried to teach me how to crochet, me and my younger sister. She ended up picking it up and she learnt how to knit and crochet very well. But I got frustrated and gave it up pretty quickly. Anyway, I've got the opportunity to learn again and I'm doing that this afternoon. I started last week and the officer started me off with the string of crochet. Then it went into a circle and everybody else was crocheting squares so we could crochet them all together and make a blanket for the cancer children. Um, mine ended up a big circle and looked like a hat. So the officer came along and undid the whole lot back to the point that I'd started at. So yeah, I'm still learning to crochet and hopefully today I will get to making a square. So my name is Tegan and I am a prisoner and this is Miss Mellor. And I will be asking her questions about her project that she started up. So why do you love doing this for? I just sit there and it's just past the time and keeps me up, you know, keeps my hands occupied while I'm sitting watching telly at night. I've made um, numerous blankets. I've sold them and also um, for family members. And, yeah, I just like to teach the girls on a, a dying trade. I'm one of them girls from 2016. Miss Mellor taught me. Oh, Miss Mellor was wonderful. 
She's shown us heaps of pictures of the blankets that she's made for all of her grandchildren, which are just wonderful looking. And I have um, great incentive to be able to actually crochet a whole bed cover like she has. It's a great therapy. It's good for the mind, it's relaxing. Yeah, I think it's very good. I quite like it. And where do they get the wool from? Uh, we did get um, donations from uh, prisoners' families, but that was a long time ago, so all the wool that's actually in here at the moment is I've brought in, except for a, a new lot that actually arrived yesterday from a, another prisoners' family. So you pay for the wool out of your own pocket to give to the cancer patients? I pay for the wool out of my own pocket so you girls can actually make the blankets to give to the cancer patients. And you are a correctional officer? That is correct. That is very beautiful. Well, for me and a lot of the other ladies, well, all the ladies here that do it, it's like you're giving back to the community too. You're giving back what you're taking out. If she hadn't come into my life at this point in time, I would never have learnt how to crochet, and that will be a skill that I take out of here and be able to continue on for my grandchildren, etc. Maybe people on the outside, you know, if they want to, could donate some wool to female industries in Darwin Correctional Centre, put a box of wool and do it to Miss Mellor. And that is just for, that is for the cancer patients. On your page there, you have a box of Romans 8, 35 to 39. Maybe we could read that together, eh? Mm-hmm. All together. It, do you find it there, Romans 8? Yes. Yeah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. Sinner or saint. I'm either a sinner or a saint. No need to paint or taint my reputation, but rather my occupation, because I take medication for my sedation, for voices depending on my choices. I have to sustain a life that can't be free from pain. I've got to gain and maintain away from the stain that causes me to refrain from the afflictions caused by my addictions. I need to function, so stop with the assumptions. Like I'm a bad apple, because I've got to grapple, to grow and to learn from my mistakes. Why do they want to burn me at the stake, when I've seen too much hate? So I must hesitate to become irate. I've got to motivate to seal my fate. Life or death, which would I prefer? For God is a judge, the jury, and executioner. I need to be good in order to be understood and get out of my hood, because I'm a saint. Or a sinner. I lose and I'm not a winner. Would you come over for dinner? Writing in prison really helps me keep my hope and faith and belief. I do a lot of stuff about NADOC and Soul and Generation and Invasion Day and stuff like that. I do poetry for, like, International Women's Day and we just... That's, like, been my main things that I've been doing in here, but I, I didn't know how to do poetry till I came in here. And I got my TV taken off me. It says boom, boom, boom. I don't 
trying need to think about it, and I've started a new way of doing styles, different styles now. It's really uh, awesome. Yes, it's good. When I write my poetry, I'll think of a word, and I'll think of a rhyming word, and I'll so put like individual, original, um, and then bam, bam, and, I'll, and then I'll have those words in there in my list. And when I want to do a poem, I'll look back. Oh, can I add that in? And I'll put that in there. I'll do lots of poetry for my children as well because it means much more to me to read it to them than writing it in a letter and sending it to them. Yeah, it makes me cry every time I read it to them and they have a little tear too because they've been, like, um, taken away from me for a few years now. So, But I want to get on the right track. And when I do my poetry now, I want to go do creative writing, get a diploma in creative writing and write books, I want to write about dreamtime stories and stuff and I want to do an autobiography about my life and just write about awesome things, you know? Like it just express how I'm feeling or and teach my kids I want them to be rappers or something, you know? You're going to need um, that support over a long period of time. And I've just had a conversation with my mum, just said, I, I just feel full of hate and resentment. Mm. And I've never been that type of person in my life. Mm. And the thought that I'm actually feeling that now, this is this, how this system is making me feel. Mm. Taking away your mm. sunshine. Yep, strip the layers. And it's just making, making me hard, mm. cynical. I got slammed in Supreme Court today, subjected to Part 2A of the CCA. White Tamp got to walk away and nod his way. I listened for DPP or community objective. Meet this with a rational corrective. Justice system, evidently defective. Rewrite maternalism. Superwoman, don't mandatory report CSA. Risk non-substantiation. Whisk away your child. Frisk your sanity and be labelled schizophrenic by appointed mechanic. Another short-termism done ad hoc, psychiatrist, playing hired guns for the justice system, iatrogenic harm, loaded and cocked, knocked down, held down, locked down, put down, dumbed down, shut down. Slut shame defamed, accept the blame to insidious cover-up corruption, political game game, play the game. Shaded girls with their backs to the wall, no patience as resilience. Inquiry stacked the deck like a kleptocrat's paycheck. Brilliant sideshow to the nameless, faceless puppet masters, pulling strings behind the scene. Mask from public interest, the obscene. Yanking, sliding, moving things. Controlling the powerful sing, yanking, tweaking, twisting things. Caught up, tied up, shut up. Yanking, spinning, hiding things. Groomed for loyalty. Stayer, team player. Who does the ordinary person appeal to against the tyranny of brothers? The pencil writes, the eraser delights, while mother fights for real children's rights. Child's voice rubbed with indoctrinated propaganda. Karma, ICAC, God, no match for abuse of power dogma. Conventional wisdom is like a hand up with a foot on your throat. Choke honest reporting and independent journalism. Just ask ABC about self-selecting experts leaning on political tyranny. Little children are sacred. Report isn't you. Yet no one batted an eyelid. A child dies in child exploitation too. 
pedophile or child porn, not met with judicial sentencing scorn. No deterrent. Mother, be warned. Woman, I'm an Indiago woman. My land, blue, sea, white, sand. I'm a strong language woman and telling my story. Woman, I'm a Bush education woman. I'm a culture strong woman. My color is blue like my mother's dreaming. When I die, I go back to country. Getting mail in jail is one of the best feelings. Dear Kiara, sorry to hear about your trouble. I hope things work out for you. I hope you're staying strong under the circumstances. What is done is done. To Kelly, it's all in the past. by the time you read this letter, I will be released. Not gone, just released. Don't find the bad and negative thoughts in this part of our journey. Hey Mina, sorry it's taken me a while to write to you. I have been struggling a bit to come to terms with your sentence and you have constantly been on my mind. I keep remembering us as little kids growing up and the fun times we had with the farm, netball and being cheerleaders. To our sweet loving daughter, wish you were home again. We miss you and we love you, remembering all the good old days at the fish camp, bull catching and station life. Have a nice day. Love from mum and dad. Everything will be okay. We will deal with whatever comes I was here for 22 months in prison and I haven't got one single letter even from my family or my friends. Maybe they've forgotten me. This one time I was standing in muster and, you know, I was expecting a letter and then I hear the guard say, Taste, you've got a letter. And I was always so excited because I've been waiting so long. And I get the letter and it's from my lawyer. Finally, walk tall, for you're twice the person of them, your detractors. Stay strong, be proud of yourself and kick ass in the process. I look forward to our next visit. I love you. I miss you. Yours 24-7. Till next time, Kiara. Love to keep getting your letters. So write me a letter when you're not busy. Love, hugs and kisses. XOXOXOX. P.S. Keep being strong and thriving in all that you are doing. Heart, heart, heart. We got this. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Dear Mum, if you are taking the time to read this, thank you so much. Being here in prison, Mum, I've found faith in God, pray for you and the kids every single day. I know you're tired of the sorries, the excuses, me justifying all my actions. There are no words to express my feelings to you on how sorry I am, but most of all, how grateful I am, 
how blessed the kids and myself are to have you in our lives. For the life you are giving them, a life I couldn't continue to give them as I now see how sick I really become. I have a long way to go, Mum, but with every single bit of me, not an inch of me doesn't want to get better. Um, I never realised how precious life is, not just my own life, but how ignorantly and selfishly, how much I took for granted how special the life of my babies are. From the day I was arrested... I knew that was the day my new life began. Within moments, I seen what I was about to lose. I seen all the damage I have caused, and I crumbled knowing my choice of being a mother temporarily come to an end. The heartbreak for their little souls, I realised, I had already caused was only the beginning of pain they were about to endure, knowing their mum is now definitely not coming home for quite some amount of time. Please, only when you're feeling comfortable and willing to, I'd love for you to write back. Actually, I would love if our relationship could slowly begin to rebuild, even slowly, just by writing to each other. And I'm asking of you all to please have faith in me and please don't lose hope in me yet. Um, so I rewrote it all neatly and I posted it off last week. Um, so I hope, oh, I don't know, it has to go through until and they read it all. And so I'm guessing she'll probably get it early next week, I'm guessing. Is a letter something that you've ever written to your mum in this way? Um, when I was younger, when I was 13, mum got put into like a mental institution sort of place. She had suffered severe depression. And I think, and there was about three years there where I didn't see a lot of her because she'd had to recover, like, big focusing on herself. And I wrote her letters then. I haven't written to her since then. Since that age, I've blocked everything out with drugs, I guess. And it's now where I'm, I guess I'm going back to that life of no drugs, like where I am feeling things again. When you used to write to your mum when she was away, did she write back? No. But she was very unwell. Yep. And you know what? Actually, I don't know if I ever actually sent mum the letters I used to write her. Yeah, and I reckon it was probably more poems that I'd write. And I don't think I did ever. Sometimes I reckon I might have left them laying around for her to accidentally read but I'd never actually give them to her to read. And do you feel this time she might write back? Um, I think she'll be able to, she'll know that with what I've written, it's not like all the other, you know, for the last 19 years, you know, how long it's been since she's been aware. It's always excuses. Anything that I did say I didn't really mean because I was on drugs. Well, this is so sincere um and I think she'll actually she'll if she's you know I'm sure a mother naturally they just know when child's being sincere or real she knows every other time I've just been full of shit where I'm 
I think she'll know that I'm. I mean everything that I've said here. Yeah, and I am. I'm almost like it probably sounds weird, but I'm almost excited to my road of recovery. Like I'm excited for this journey, this path. Hey, listeners, we love getting letters here in Sector 4. If you've got a stamp, we'd love to get a letter from you. Yeah, write to us. Tell us about your story. We'll even write you back. The address is Bird's Eye View, Sector 4, Darwin Correctional Centre, GPO Box 1066. Howard Springs, NT, Australia 0835. You can get the address on our website. That's birdseyeviewpodcast.net. Next time on Bird's Eye View, you'll learn about the all-versatile lady stick. Smooth and creamy with that delicate smell. Lady stick. And then there's this. If they really want to go technical, they will get some Devon or some ham from the sandwiches, put the Devon or ham into the Glad Wrap, then fold it around and put the Glad Wrap Devon ham into the hole of the, the mattress or the pillow, and that is their fifi. Thanks for listening to Bird's Eye View, the first podcast made in Darwin Correctional Centre by us. The women from Sector 4. Sylvia. Nolene. Kay. Amy. Kellyanne. Bianca. Trisha. Kiara. No, I'm <laughs> Brooklyn. Tace. Rocket. Dan. Jessica. Naomi. Sophina. Julie. Tegan. Joan. Yasmin. Sophie. Jesse. Kirsty Louise. Becky Boo. And Ashley. Bird's Eye View is presented by Story Projects. This episode was produced by Leah Sanderson and Cinnamon Nippard. Johanna Bauer is executive producer. With mixing by Hamish Robertson of Tall Tale Audio. Our awesome theme music is by Katie Baker and is called Worth It. In this episode, you also heard music by Karigara Karigura, Serena Peck, Stevie Jean, and Eleanor Dixon. Music coordination by Ben Andrews. Jeez Louise, it takes a lot of people to make a podcast. <laughs> Bird's eye view was funded by another territory government and the Australia Council for the Arts. With support from the Prison Songs Impact Campaign and Audio Craft. Everything you've heard has been signed off by the Northern Territory Correctional Services. To hear more stories from women inside, search for Bird's Eye View wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes.